Hey Amy, welcome to Love Yourself, No Choice Love Yourself podcast <laughs> and uh, I'm actually really nervous and <laughs> really excited all at the same time because you have been an incredible, incredible guide, teacher, mentor for me along my journey and have taught me so much about what it means to be an empowered mental projector. And, um, you know, it's been absolutely amazing learning with you and John. Both, uh, they bring just amazing, amazing education and are so mutative in your own unique way. So I'm really excited to have you on and really excited to see um, what comes up and what we end up talking about. So welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm really, really happy to be here. Happy to get to talk with you one-on-one too. Yeah, yeah. I just kind of want to begin with like, what were you doing before human design and just a little bit like on your human design journey and how you were introduced to it and what your journey has been like so far? Sure. Um, before I found human design, I was, I, I was sort of wandering around all over the place. I had an astrology reading once in my early twenties and the astrologer said, you've got a kind of wander around all over the place, kind of a chart. And, um, it's probably going to take some time for you to settle into whatever it is you're actually going to land on but it, it'll, it'll be a while. So don't be in a rush. And so before I found human design, I had done some kind of, I had gone to engineering school. So I did the really logical sort of normal thing. And then I studied some different spiritual systems and meditation and energy work. And I almost feel like with each thing I did, I would sort of with my, with all my openness, I would sort of go into it and get absorbed in that world, you know, so in the, you know, collegiate engineering school world, and then in the woo-woo uh, meditation, spiritual world. And then with each step, I'd end up having this feeling that something was out of balance or something was missing in each one of these things. And then I'd, I'd end up getting pulled into something else that started to address that. So went from that academic world to a sort of spiritual teaching and then started to feel like there were some emotional pieces that were not being addressed in that work, that there were people who were bypassing or avoiding certain very real, normal human things through these spiritual practices. So that pulled me more into this psychotherapy world and I started studying different uh, somatic therapy modalities and you know ways of understanding and processing emotion and and then I found human design right when I was uh, pregnant with my or right after I'd given birth to my daughter my only child and it came to me through another new mom that I was in kind of in community with and she she kind of plucked me out and said you would be able to figure this thing out you should go study this and then I went home that night and at the time I was just, you know, being a full-time mom and it was very overwhelming as, as a, um, with my makeup. And the first thing I watched was 
the first thing I came across really was Rod's video on his encounter with the voice. <laughs> and I watched that in kind of horror and fascination because <laughs> part of me, part of me was feeling like, no, I'm getting more normal now. I'm going to like do a more normal, I'm going to be a mom and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, maybe I'll be a therapist and I'll, I'll make sense in a normal way. And then I saw this video and half of me was like, there's something there's something to this I got to know more about. I resonated with him right away, but at the same time, I felt like I don't, I don't even want to open that door. I could tell it was a, like a Pandora's box that was going to suck me in. And, and then I had some initial readings with a few different people and I took it really slow at first because I didn't really have the time or energy to devote to it, but it became something that got I couldn't help but weave it into the work that I was doing with people in a more counseling capacity. And then I was um, I was going to go to therapy school and then that didn't quite work out. And, and that's when I entered analyst training and I thought, well, I'll do this instead. And I, I, was, I didn't even feel like I'm going to become an analyst. I just thought, well, this is, I'd already taken the foundation courses and I thought, well, I'll just take this next step. And then that, that kind of set a whole thing's whole bunch of things in motion and that's when I met John and and then we started studying and working together and then it just sort of evolved into the the work that we do now today and it, and it just sort of took over you know yeah that's quite the journey and I really some of the things that you said I really resonate with as well because I went down the academic route. I went to law school and then I was like, no, nah, this something's missing here. And then I went down the whole health and wellness and like tried, tried a bunch of different systems and then went down spiritual shopping and did Reiki mm -hmm. and energy healing and so many different things. And then um, developed a coaching practice for myself and then was invited by a client of mine into human design who said, um, oh my gosh, like you should understand this. You can understand this, so teach me, which is which is a fascinating process for us projectors, right? especially mental projectors that are so open and are capable of, and at, these are your words, playing any game. You know, I, in, in one of our readings, um, you told me this, like, yeah, we, we really can play any game uh, it's just about realizing like, is this really a good fit for me? Or am I really, do I really have a voice here? Do I really have a say here? Do I feel recognized? Um, yeah, and I am really, really personally passionate about just bringing about more education when it comes to mental projectors. Because personally, so far, most of what I've heard, and I'm not going to name any names because that's not the point. The point is that there is a deeper issue here, and that is that there is not enough um, correct information out there for mental projectors or like that is supportive enough so that they can really go through their deconditioning process. And a lot of the things that I've heard around are actually quite disempowering. And it it really has like been breaking my heart just a little bit because I really see the beauty of what it means to be a mental projector. And um, honestly, just being in your classes and, and watching you be yourself really showed me just what's possible, you know, what's possible for a mental projector and just how much like clear outer authority they can offer and just how much value they can offer. And so I want to clear some things up. And the first thing 
that I want to hear your perspective on and your insight on is our authority. And I know that there are so many different names that we give it. And I'm personally invested in this naming game because I have the channel of acceptance 1762. And I just like something in me desperately needs to name things correctly so that they're well understood. And I feel like there's so many names given to our authorities. I want to go one by one through all the names and I want to hear like your thoughts on it and like, you know, uh, how you feel about them. Does that sound like something you want to do? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, the first one that I have is no inner authority. How do you think about that? You know, there are a lot of terms in human design that, or there aren't actually a lot. There are a few terms in human design that are often presented in the negative, like the two main ones I can think of are no inner authority and non-energy beings. And I think both of those are useful to a point because one of the things that highlights, if we say to a mental projector, you have no inner authority, it really does differentiate us from the fact that major the majority of people do have a direct inner authority. So I do think that's important to recognize, but to end, to stop there, I think is too short. I think then we need to take it to the next step. So in the same way to say a projector and to say projectors and reflectors are non-energy beings, I think that's really helpful in a certain, at a certain stage to be able to recognize we don't operate based on energy and activity as our first priority. And most of the population does. So then it's helpful to recognize I'm not that, you know, I'm not an, an energy priority being. But then I think we do need to take it a step forward to say we're awareness beings. And I, I think it's a really powerful distinction to say we all have access to energy and awareness. But for the energy types, the energy is the first priority. And for awareness types, the awareness is the first priority. And so I, the, the term that I like the best, I think, in terms of mental projectors as an authority is to say that it's a process-based authority. That's, that's probably one of the terms that I feel is most supportive and accurate. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that you, you, you bring light to that because sometimes when we talk about uh, concepts in human design or anything else and we talk about them on social media you know there's always like this rush of fitting it into a story or fitting it into a post and you know like reducing the the nuance of it all into like small and yes keynotes work and they're really helpful um, and actually keynotes are what get through to people on a very cellular energetic level but also sometimes like the nuance is lost and you know we're all like uh, clubbing everyone in like a large section and there should be like 10 asterisks under it be like yeah but if this this but if this this if this this right because it is the science of differentiation so I love I love that you said it that way and I I love process-based authority as well, because then it doesn't reduce us mental projectors to just 
sounding board because I find that that's helpful. Yes, it's the primary way that I get to making my decisions, that I get to hearing the clarity of my body. But sometimes I feel like my body moves on its own. And, you know, like I will... I will talk about it later and and get the sense that yeah that was correct for me but I feel like sounding board and like just talking things through is one way for me to access that and this is just my own personal experience of experimenting with it for a little over two years two years and um, another another thing that I find here with process-based authorities that it leaves open some some other like mystical magical thing that I feel like is associated with mental projectors and their authority because um, I have experienced my authority show up in 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 more ways than just by me talking about it about my decisions mm -hmm. yes mm -hmm. yeah makes sense. yeah I also would like to hear your thoughts about the difference between a mental projector with a defined throat, someone who feels really comfortable talking versus uh, a mental projector with a defined head and ajna. And I've had a lot of conversations with those mental projectors as well. And they find soundboarding helpful in some cases, but also difficult uh, right. to, to do um, a lot. So do you see a difference between the two? Yeah, I think there is a difference between the two, although if someone has a defined throat, then there's a consistent way of articulating. There's a consistent frequency to the way that will articulate, which you and I both have. Um, I have always pondered that as well, because with an undefined throat, there could still be activations there that will likely give clues to the nature of the voice when it does come out. But it could also be experienced as a lot of pressure to talk that if if that's not what feels supportive or if it feels like it's it, an effort or an overexertion to go through that process. Um, then yeah, I think that it, it may not fit in the same way for a mental projector with an undefined throat. Um, and with all of these things, I think the part of the reason why I like process-based authority is because it also encourages us to discover our own process. And I think that's what every mental projector really is put to task to do because most of what we're going to encounter, whether it's in the sort of homogenized normal world or whether it's through certain people in the human design world who maybe don't have a deeper understanding of what it's like to live with this, we're really, we've really got to be in our own process to discover what works for us. So I know that for me, soundboarding is really important and it's really helpful. And yet I also think for some other kinds of mental projectors, understanding more about substructure, understanding more of the subtlety of mechanics can also be extremely helpful. And I think that's all part of it. In the old manuals, there used to be a little line that was written that said, authority is a construct. Mm -hmm. And that's 
I don't think any, <laughs> I don't think very many major human design uh, teachers or influencers would necessarily say that, but in a way it's a shorthand. And so then it's up to each of us, you know, to pull that apart and find out what is, what is the depth at the surface? Because all of those surface keynotes are very simple generalizations and they are generally true but it's up to each of us to find out what that what that means in our own experience. So. Yeah, yeah, I love that you say that because I have been experimenting with, so I have inner vision cognition mm -hmm. and um, guilt motivation and wanting view. And mm -hmm. I have been very closely watching myself uh, when it comes to these things and observing them. And what I've realized is that I can be like in the right motivation and looking at the right thing. But if my if my authority says no, say if I'm talking about it, I'm constantly saying no, it's a no. And so I found myself in this very confusing position lately where it's like I'm very much in my guilt motivation and I'm very much looking at, you know, what's needed. But at the same time, my authority is like, no. No, like as I'm talking about it, it's like, no, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. And so I feel like it can be such a confusing thing for a projector because you hear about like, oh, this is an indie, like you're, you're being in the correct motivation or experiencing your cognition on some level is an indicator that you are actually in the correct place for yourself. But I have found that, yes, it's an indicator, but mm -hmm. it's not your authority. Mm -hmm. and yeah. my authority like the clearest cleanest way of me hearing myself has always been talking but then again I find that because I have a defined throat I just it's just easier and as I keep talking about soundboarding I have all of these people come to me and be like yeah that doesn't apply to me you know like I I don't I don't feel the same way about soundboarding and I've been experimenting with this for a very very long time and environment actually matters a lot more for me and so then comes in the point of like oh people say that it's environmental authority and I can see why being in the correct environment or in a space that feels good or that brings more of me out is good but then again it's not it's not my authority it's just a helpful thing for a mental projector or honestly anyone to be in the correct environment right so do you have any thoughts on the environment piece? I think the environment piece really comes from just what it means to have an undefined G-Center, which all of us do as mental projectors. So I don't know exactly who came up with that or when or, or why that became the focus in some of the foundational manuals. Um, but I think that's really where it comes from, the fact that the, the context that we're in is going is likely going to affect a lot of who we become. And I think that is a very, that's been a very helpful thing for me to watch in myself in different relationships and different contexts to get to see who do I become in this field? And basically, am I okay with that? I mean, on, on a really simple level, it's sort of like, do I, is that something I can enjoy and feel a certain amount of natural success and recognition in, or does it feel like a performance and a pain? And so I do think that's a helpful parameter. The thing is, I don't know. It's sort of like when people first look at their chart and there are all these different components to it. 
And then what the Ajna wants to do or what the, the not self mind wants to do is kind of pick it all apart and make it all a black and white hierarchy, you know? So then it's like, is this channel more important or is this channel more important? And then it's like, is my motivation more important or is my voice more important or... And it's sort of, um, I think, a mentally manufactured dilemma because when we're in the right place at the right time and we're following what feels natural to us, I think I the way I see it, all of those things sort of settle out and they, it doesn't mean we don't have any inner tension, but we don't have inner resistance and I think resistance is an important thing to examine in ourselves. And you can see that, you can, like you're saying, you can see if you're in an environment and it all looks good and sounds good on paper, but you can tell while you're there that something in you is starting to resist being there. Then that's a that's something to pay attention to, I think. Yeah, and I think this goes with what you said about process-based authority, because that kind of implies that you got to take some time with that, you know? You know, it's not always like you're there and it's right there and you've processed it all. Like, at least for me, sometimes it can take me months to even process the environment of the person or the opportunity before I can get to a place of that clarity that's like either I'm in or I'm out. Right. So mm -hmm. I I think time is an important factor here. And again, there's, it's not to say that sometimes you can talk about something for an hour and it's right there. Clarity is right there. And Sometimes we can go on and on for years and it's it's still it's still not there. Mm -hmm. um, I also hear a lot of outer authority being used mm -hmm. uh, for mental projectors, and that kind of makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. um, I can understand why why someone would say that uh, because in a sense we're speaking and then hearing ourselves and uh, hearing our own truth and that's what outer authority is your own personal lived truth or your own personal like how how would you describe outer authority actually love to hear it from your perspective I think outer, outer authority is more pointing to the role that we can play with other people that that's that's really the main role that we can play is to have is to be a guiding outer authority which doesn't mean that we're here to tell everybody else what to do but that our consciousness is here to provide uh, a kind of guidance and a frequency for other people that they can then choose to, you know, follow or listen to or not. Um, and everybody has that capacity, you know, everybody has an outer authority capacity through their consciousness. It's just that for us as mental projectors, that's, that's the main thing we have. Whereas for the vast majority of other people, that is not the main thing that, that they're here for. Mm -hmm. So I think it highlights the fact that that's really our ideal role in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And that's, that's the main contribution we bring to the totality is to, is to offer that outer authority, consciousness, guidance, awareness. So that, the helpful thing about that then I think is that it makes it really easy to notice as a mental projector, if you're in certain relationships or certain situations where your awareness is disregarded or not wanted. Um, if that's a consistent 
theme in that dynamic, it's probably not a, it's probably not a very healthy situation. Yeah, and it can be such a tricky process for a mental projectile because I mean, just just by just how we're designed, we don't have access to any motors and then we can potentially get stuck in environments or in relationships with with people that are actually quite harmful for us on on a very deep level because I feel like when you get stuck in environments where you're not recognized it can be really psychologically damaging and your spirit gets really damaged and so it can be such a tricky thing to have a process-based authority and to like have to be someone who needs time and then also someone who probably doesn't have a lot of energy to either move in or out of those situations um very quickly although sometimes that can happen too that can happen too but uh, I personally have found myself stuck in situations for for long periods and they've actually harmed me a lot before I could get out of them so yeah it can be it can be a tricky existence but I also I also think that it's really really beautiful when you do find those correct people and the correct environment for yourself and then you can see what what this is capable of because before I came to human design I was just kind of floating around and you know nothing nothing fit it was like I was living but I wasn't really alive and then I came to human design it's like something really clicked and I could see my Ajna just light up and and just just want to learn and want to understand and and want to like have opinions and you know want to go over things again and again and find patterns and so it's been really fascinating for me as a mental projector to go from this place of I have to protect myself to oh wow I actually have a contribution to make and it's actually really beautiful and sometimes I find that in the human design world we're constantly bashing the mind you know, with and mm-hmm. and um granted <laughs> the not self-mind is something that you have to learn about. The not self-mind is something that you have to be reminded of a lot as you're deconditioning. But also sometimes as a mental projector, it can feel really like sometimes I feel personally attacked because like everyone's like, the mind is this and the mind, I'm like, no, sometimes the mind is actually really beautiful. And, you know, sometimes we can have like an Ajna appreciation party or like a head appreciation party as well. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. wondering if you found that difficult as a mental projector coming into human design or nope. I think it's actually helped me to embrace the light and the dark side of, of my mind, that there are a lot of things my mind can do that are beautiful and that are fascinating and very interesting to me, even if it's not interesting to anybody else. And there are parts of my mental process that are absolutely insane that can, you know, go really crazy and really wreak havoc on my view of myself and my view of the world. So I think it's helped me to put it in its place. I don't think we need to demonize it. You know, there are people who will, there are some people who will come out and say, well, human design is all about the experience and it's all about the experiment. And it's all about the body. And, and it is in a way, and yet the teaching of the system itself and being able to understand the language of it is a very mental process. 
So the mind has a place in it for sure. Um, and yeah, so I, I don't think there, I don't think it makes sense to demonize anything, anything in, in the, in the human design realm. There's stuff that's harder than other stuff at different times. Everybody's got their own problems. You know, it's been fascinating to me over the years, actually, to go from early on looking at my chart as looking at my design as something that where there's all this deficit, you know, there's all this absence, all this no inner authority, non-energy, no motors, you know, all, all that kind of stuff to actually being able to experience it as a kind of spaciousness that I feel very lucky to get to have. And I look at some designs, I've had a lot of relationships with people who have very highly fixed, defined charts. And they've got a whole different set of gifts and they've got a whole different set of problems and challenges. And I can really see that and see, wow, that I don't have that problem in that way, or that doesn't plague me in that way. And I really love my flexibility. I love my spaciousness. I love my openness. I love that I've gotten to a place where I can embrace that about myself and I enjoy it. It doesn't feel like I'm missing something. It feels like I have, I have space and other people don't have that. Other people don't have space from themselves, from their inner authority, from their emotional process, from their, you know, rigid identity, from the fixedness of their response, all of those things. So I'm always wary of I had a really funny experience the other day. I did a reading and at the end of it, the, the woman said to me, is a foundation reading always this positive? And it was really interesting because I, I've got guilt motivation. I'm a five one. I can be cranky. I'm an individual. Like I, I get melancholic. I don't, most people close to me in my life don't think of me as a super bright, shiny, fuzzy person. But in this reading, she was like, is it always this positive? And I, it was really an interesting comment for me to process because I didn't feel like I was being especially positive. I, I felt like I was just, I was just naming what I saw pretty plainly. So it, that was interesting feedback for me to get. And I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for that, actually. There yeah. are plenty of problems, you know, but but there's a lot of, there's a lot of beauty in, in every design and the mind doesn't have to be an enemy, but it is something for us to contend with. And I see it too, even in what you're mentioning about some of the arguments that go on about certain terms or is it this or is it that? And, you know, if we're going to say it's this and it has to be that way for everyone. And maybe it's my defined Ajna where I don't, I don't feel insecure in that way. Like my certainty has to be everybody's certainty. I know what I know. If you want to call it environmental authority, if you want to call it whatever, have at it. It's your life. Like I, I you know, obviously there's a certain responsibility if you're going to be a professional in some way, or you're going to be influencing other people. But I don't, I don't know. I guess I don't, I don't take it that seriously. I don't, I don't, yeah, 
I, I don't feel the need to get up in arms about proving that my, you know, my certainty or the way I name it or the way I see it is the right and true way or something. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. And it is something that I'm quite passionate about just because I want to understand, like, I'm still quite early on in, in my process and I'm still mm -hmm. experimenting with so many different things that I've learned about that for me, this is a process of deepening my understanding. And in the process of it, if something resonates with someone, great. But for me, it's really important, one, that I understand. And second, that I just want to empower people rather. That's what human design is about. It's about empowering them. It's not about making them feel bad for who they are. And, and you know, like, adding to all of the not self narratives that are already going on in the head, especially when you come upon a design like ours and there's not that much, um, you know, information out there or it's conflicting or everyone talks about it in kind of like, and I'm not going to name any names, but I heard like an actual professional say something along the lines of, oh, you must have done something bad in a previous lifetime in order for you to get this design in this lifetime. And I just, something in my body was just like, this is this is not okay. This is not okay because I, I already feel like we come from such a difficult place. And then, and and like you said, there are different difficulties for all of the different designs. So it's not about that. But at the same time, like, I just want to see all the mental projectors do their mental projector thing and not be uh, disempowered or feel like, oh my gosh, like, why, 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 why am I this? Or why do I have this design? Yeah. Well, I think that brings to light a, a bigger point, which is especially important now. I mean, it's always been important, but I think it's especially important now. I don't think anyone is in a good position at this point in time to be abdicating your awareness as a mental projector in favor of somebody else, especially if they're not a fellow mental projector or somebody who has, who has a depth of, who has the depth of awareness and and um, ability to recognize. So I think it's a very important time to recognize. I mean, this is why, you know, you've taken classes with me. This is why I start out every class and say, here's my design. Here's the filter you're gonna get from me. Don't ever forget that because if there are things that I say that don't work for you, take a look and you'll see why, you'll probably see why, or, or you can just disregard it, but don't, don't ever hand over your authority to me and don't hand it over to any other teacher. And it's, I, I don't think any of us is in a good position to, to put that aside. So it's great that you see that and you can see, you know, somebody can say something and you can see, that's a shitty way to say that. I I would never want to say it that way. It's I don't enjoy the impact of you saying that to me, and I don't think you should say it. Well, you are entitled to that opinion, <laughs> you know, and it would be <laughs> natural for you to have that opinion, you know, given your design as well. So, um, and then you you can process whether that's an environment or a teacher or a situation that you'd want to continue to subject yourself to or not. 
whatever that process is for each person, I think it's really important to take responsibility for it. So that's my guilt motivation. (laughs) That's my guilt motivation, Clarion messaging for everyone (laughs) is, you know, take responsibility for yourself, take responsibility for your experience. There's nobody here that owes you an experience. Wow. This is your life. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's so beautifully said. And, uh, yeah, ultimately, that's what this deconditioning process is about, right? You really becoming your own authority and understanding what that means, understanding what it means to be you in these changing times and um, and still be able to, to be able to tune into yourself and make that decision from that place of this is correct for me, no matter what anyone says, even if they're in a place of authority, they're not my authority, you know? Mm-hmm. I am my authority and I get to decide for myself. And this is so important because the closer we're moving to 2027, the more we're going to really need our authorities because things, I mean, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts about what you see happening. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. inner authority is absolutely imperative as the times change and as the background frequency changes and shifts so Mm -hmm. I would love to Mm -hmm. hear how do you see 2027 and in particular what I'm really interested in is hearing like what role do you see projectors having in 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 a world post 2027 Mm -hmm. Well, I think we're moving toward obviously an era where there's more there's more background frequency support for individuality in general. And if we just look at that simple surface layer of it, then we're looking at a theme that's all about seeing the truth for ourselves. It's And it's about the truth that we can know for ourselves or not. And for me, one of the biggest lessons of individuality is that it's actually very, it's, it's a, it's got a parallel with the emotional wave in a way. Like we can say with the emotional process, you don't get pleasure without pain. You don't get one end of the emotional chemistry without the other. They, they exist together dynamically. And in the same way with individuality, you don't get knowing without not knowing. You know, you don't get inspiration without melancholy. They're both, they're they're wedded. So I think it takes a lot of humility and awareness to be able to admit when we know something and when we don't. So if there's, and the, and the greatest insecurity with individuality is often around trying to prove that what I know as the truth should be valid to you, to another. So that's the that's the danger, I think, with with individuality. But I think it's pretty clear we're we're moving into an era where, and you've heard me say it in class before, I think the collective frequency is really bloated. I don't know a better term for it, but it's it's too big to not fail <laughs> in a way. And so that's that's a big part of what we're seeing. And it brings things down to a different kind of level and a different way of life that I do think 
requires people to take more personal responsibility and to, you know, to form our own bonds based on different parameters. Uh, I don't know if you can feel this, but I certainly am seeing it in in people and it, it may just be the people that are on my fractal are attracted to me, but I am seeing a trend where as I think as this 4037 frequency leaves us as as a background support, it's it's getting harder for people to uphold those kind of agreements um, based on a tribal frequency and a societal mandate. It's getting difficult for people who don't have that in them naturally or for whom those relationships aren't truly in alignment. It's getting harder to maintain it because we don't have that that background support anymore. So things are, you know, things are falling apart in and in a lot of places we're not able to hold on to the same kind of tribal laws. And then you see all these people that are coming together in different ways and creating their own tribes, creating their own, their, their different kind of laws and agreements. And, and it's a mutative process and it's, it's an experimental process, you know, really. So I think there are some of us who, who are built well to be able to rely on awareness and share awareness at this time in particular. And if we've got projectors who are healthy in themselves and healthy in their awareness, then I do think that could be a great benefit for, for humanity in general. And we're moving in, we're moving closer into this whole era where it, it will be much more of an awareness game than a motor game. And, and right now we're at the, the pinnacle of the motor game. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. I can just see the disintegration, you know? Yeah. So can I, what I'm really seeing around myself is a lot of people leaving their jobs. That's one that I'm just noticing, like a lot of frustrated people that are not in good health, young people that are just Mm -hmm. like, I am done with this I am done working for someone else and I'm done giving up my health for this this is something that I'm constantly like watching around me other thing that I'm not other things that I'm noticing are like like you said the bond like the marriage bond specifically around me like I can see a huge 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 shift um, and again, I can hear the older generation <laughs> that is so conditioned uh, with that frequency uh, be like, yeah, today's kids, like they're just, they just can't sustain anything. You know, look at us. We spent our whole lifetime with, with one person and we created this family. And, you know, I can, I can just see a lot of relationships break down and just the significance of marriage and the significance of signing a contract and getting into it that way like people still want to be with people and be in relationship and explore that but I think there are fewer and fewer people that want to sign a contract for them to be able to explore relationships so yeah Mm -hmm. um, seeing a seeing like a lot of issues with fertility so I mean, there are so many things that are just so very obvious. Like I used to walk down this local market of mine and there used to like there used to be no fertility center, nothing. And today in that very market, there are three. And that's just uh, 
that's just like so obvious to me that things are shifting and they are changing and um I love what you said that we are at the pinnacle of of you know, an energy world and now we're slowly moving in into a world of awareness. And yeah, that and people who do have some awareness will probably be able to maneuver well. And people who are their own authority, people who know how to trust their body and all, all the intelligence of this body and trust their trajectory and trust the people that they're surrounded with that you know, they will be supported through this shift and this change. I'm very curious about, you know, the, it's often said that the deconditioning cycle is, especially for a projector is like a seven year cycle, right? It takes time because it's a cellular change. And at first, when I, when I got into human design, I was like, no, 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 like I, I will study all of it. And, you know, I, I know myself, like I'm going to decondition real fast. And the more that I'm in, in my deconditioning process, now I find the slower that I want to go. So I started like really quick, hot and heavy fast. And then I, I'm like just slowing down and slowing down. And instead of wanting to go further and further, I find myself wanting to go deeper and deeper and deeper and just sit with that so I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what you think about like the duration of the deconditioning cycle mm -hmm. and why 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 does Ra say that it it takes seven years does it take seven years what was your experience I love that you made that distinction between further versus deeper I think that's a beautiful distinction. And a lot of these kind of teachings, it's whether it's a spiritual teaching or human design as a teaching, it, it is easy to get very excited about it at first and then get excited about where you get to go with it, you know? And that's kind of like, where is this going to take me? Where, what am I going to get to? If I really do this full, full on, you know, there's a little bit of, there can be a little bit of a trap in there because we can start to get really oriented toward what I would call, you know, the goodies, you know, how, how quickly can I get the goodies out of this? And I don't think that's really the point of human design. And I think for anybody who takes it on sincerely, it will surprise you, you know, it will, what you think, you know, will change. You know, what, what the way you saw things will evolve. And I like, I think there is something to the seven year cycles. And a lot of people will say, well, things are accelerating and things are spreading and people are catching on to things faster. And I do think that is true. And I also, I don't know that there's really a substitute for time. And I, I can remember from a very young age, when I was in my early twenties, I had a mentor in, in a energy work that I was doing and she was in her forties and she had been teaching since she was in her early twenties. And she sort of saw me as someone that could follow in her footsteps. And so she wanted me to, to take on and run this whole meditation center when I was, you know, 25 years old. And 
I tried, you know, and then, and then I had people showing up in class in front of me who were in their fifties and I could just sit there and I could see it, no matter how talented I am, or no matter what my natural gifts are, there's something about this that just feels strange. And, and I didn't enjoy that. Um, so I do think there are things that happen over time that reveal different things to us. And so then it can be really helpful to know where you are, you know, in your own process and to be honest about that. And, and then you'll see what there is for you to engage with, with who, you know, um, but I do think there's something to it. I mean, I'm I'm coming up on my 14th year. So next year will be my 14th year. So that'll be the end of my second seven-year cycle. And I don't know. I, I think we get, we. I think if we're in it sincerely, we probably get more humble <laughs> as we get older. We get more like, oh God, I don't know. I'll give you the best I can. I'll share what I know, but um I don't know. It's a crazy life, you know? So yeah, I think there's something to it, but I think there's also something valuable about recognizing that it's not, it's not a better or worse thing. It's like, would we say a five-year-old is worse than a 10-year-old? It's like, no, that doesn't make any sense. A five-year-old is a five-year-old, a 10-year-old is a 10-year-old, you know? And you've got people with different, different speeds, different gifts, different aptitudes, you know, so there may be some things that given your design, given your history, given your experience, given your particular life experience, you know, you, you may be in a different place with things than somebody else who's known about human design for however many years. But I do think there's a significance to the personal process that happens over time. That's okay. in my own experience. Yeah, and it never really ends, does it? Like, so even oh. even just thinking about it as a seven-year process is is yeah. actually not helpful because if you're in it, it never ends. It's you're always deconditioning. You're always, or in a sense, at least like, um, not making decisions from that conditioning, right? Um, mm -hmm. Not not making that always working through not making the conditioning that you're receiving your own working through not identifying with it mm -hmm. so in in that mm -hmm. sense you're always moving through and at at some point right like i this is what my mind thinks that at some point of time it just becomes easier to wait at some point of time it just it becomes easier to, to just sit back in that lull because that lull does happen. Like, you know, um, for me, like sometimes I'm getting all of the invitations and then sometimes I go through phases and periods where there's just nothing, there's just quiet. And it's only like through experience and noticing that, that I'm realizing that's actually a very normal part of my journey. Like I'm not, I can't be active all the time. It's just not possible for me. It's just... Sometimes I notice that when I don't get the invitations, like time for me to have that deep rest or time for me to just be here for me, because as a projector, you know, like so much of your life is about 
for the other and, and it feels good you know it's not like you're making some sacrifice it actually brings me a deep feeling of success and that's why I do it but then you know there are those times when your life is is just for you and and there's not a lot of activity or there's not a lot happening and I'm not sure where I'm going with this mm -hmm. but um let's see what else do I want to ask you well if I could comment on yes, that please <laughs> just that. yeah because I think what you're saying highlights again this thing about it's not about getting anywhere and so if it's if it's not about getting somewhere then it frees us up to just be in the experience we're having having the awareness that we're having and to get to enjoy that and if you enjoy the ride you're not eager for it to be over so that you can get to wherever it ends then that doesn't even become a then it's not even a question anymore. It's it's like, are you gonna have success in this way or in this way? Are you gonna make a contribution in this way or in that way? It's, I think it's a huge relief as a projector when that's not the first question. So many projectors will come to human design and within the first you know, very short period of time, it's like, well, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? It's like, that's not your question. <laughs> That's not your question. That question is never going to really be fulfilling for you. You know, what do you see? Like, what are you seeing? And then when we start to be able to fall in love with our own seeing, even if nobody else, even if we're not getting attention for it or nobody else is validating it, it's nice. It's really nice to be able to share awareness <laughs> with somebody. And, it, you know, my favorite kind of coming together with people is when, you know, I can put something out there and then they put something out there and then, and then that goes somewhere else. And then that goes somewhere else. And we're, we're kind of getting to really look at something together. That's exciting to me. As soon as it turns into a debate, well, you see it that way. I see it this way. Why do you see it? that? As soon as it becomes a thing like that, I'm sort of like, Oh, this isn't fun. <laughs> this is, you know, that's just my, you know, my orientation, but, um, it's a really big deal to be able to enjoy the process and to let go of where it's going, especially because for most of us, where it's going to take you is probably not going to be where you think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's so, like, that's such a realization to come upon um, in, your, in your deconditioning process because in the beginning, it does feel like, oh my God, this is going to solve, like, all the issues that I'm having like this is the answer to all my problems and the more that you're in it the more that you realize it's there's no prize for being yourself other than you get to live your life mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. and that's meaningful and that's valuable to you in some way and again that is not like you can't assign anything like any value to it in the material sense it just feels right it just feels mm -hmm. better than a not self-life. It just feels like you're gliding. It just feels like, and not to say that you don't have bad experiences or you don't struggle through things. You still live a human life, <laughs> you know, 
it just mm-hmm. it just feels like you're equipped for it or you know the people that you're surrounded with actually bring the right kind of support or the right kind of guidance or you know whatever you need in order for you to see more grow more you know whatever your orientation is um mm-hmm. so it's really important to to stress on this because sometimes when we enter human design we feel like this is where all our problems get solved whereas that that yeah. might not be the case right and it's it's like how you named this uh, this format you know no choice love yourself it's it's not saying no choice fix yourself or no choice, solve your problems. It's, you know, those things shift over time. I I think about it sometimes the way you can look at a child. It's like some people will handle parenting, parenthood as as a process of being able to fix or mold a child into what they want them to be or what they think they should be or what they think they need to be in order to survive in this world. It's a very different thing to be aware of what that child is and discover how to love and nurture them for what they are. And that's really, I think, what we're doing with ourselves. It's like, how do I, how do I love and support myself and take care of myself in a way that's, um, I don't treat myself like a problem. I don't treat my life like a problem. Yeah, I got problems. Everybody's got problems, but that's not my core orientation to myself. My core orientation to myself is love and acceptance. And, and then we'll see what, you know, what, what comes out of that. But it's, you know, Ross, Ross said it so many times, so many different ways. A lot of older human design teachers will say this in a lot of ways. It's not about answering all your questions. It's about loving your questions. It's not about resolving all your dilemmas. It's about dancing with your dilemmas. You know, it's not about figuring out what's, who has it worse and who has it better. It's recognizing that everybody's got a part to play in this crazy game. And, and then the whole thing is, it's, I I think it does make it easier. Yeah, and when you can get to this place, I feel like I wouldn't say like like passenger consciousness, right? That's not detachment. That's like I get to watch it and I get to enjoy it and I get to cry about it and I get to feel all the feelings about it and I get to go like through this entire journey with so many different beings that bring so many different things to my life and go through so many different experiences. I just get to watch it. I just get to watch this movie and that's beautiful you know that that and and there are moments you know when I find myself doing that and there is not like every cell in my body is joyous in that moment because you know there is there is this there is this sense of oh my god like I'm seeing it and Mm -hmm. uh, I'm in it but but at the same time I'm I'm I kind of have like a, a different vantage point on it and when you have that there is so much more regulation in your body. There is, it's yeah. so there's, there's just ability to be present to not only your own experience but the experience that is going on around you. And mm-hmm. um, you know, this has been a fascinating change that I've noticed within myself, where I used to feel very dysregulated uh, a lot, and now I find myself 
feeling a lot more regulated in general. And then if I don't feel regulated, I feel I know my environment. I just come to my environment, do my own thing. And I just, I come back to a place of I'm calm, I'm composed, everything is good, right? Which which is something that I'm forever uh, grateful for. And again, my mind doesn't have all the things that it wanted to have in this world. My life looks nothing like, you know, I wanted it to look, but at the same time, I've never, I've never had deeper breaths and I've never felt more just like myself. And uh, that that's a gift that you can't really describe, but it's, it's just what, it's something you can feel. It's something you can experience. Yes. Yeah. And, and each person gets to have those moments with themselves in their own time, you know, in their own way. And that is, I think you're right. It's a very precious thing and it's a very personal thing. Yeah. That feeling of like, you know, I, before human design, like I was doing a bunch of different meditations and there was this like focus on this meditation. It was all about, I am, I am. And I would always try to do that. And I'd be like, am I? Who am I? <laughs> like so, so triggered by the I am. And now sometimes, you know, when I'm when I'm really like in myself and like doing my thing and living my life, and I just feel like I am. And I find myself saying that. And it's such a it's such a wonderful thing for me to experience and the growth that I have have had in such a short amount of time because I've been trying to do so many different things just trying to make sense of life and I feel like you know human design was kind of the thing that brought a lot of different puzzle pieces and just fit fit them in and it's been really fascinating to watch watch that but one thing that I still don't feel super comfortable about is my uh, right mind and right brain and I know that you have a right mind and a right brain right mm -hmm. can can you speak to a little bit like what was it like when you found out did it immediately make sense how did you develop trust with your rightness well I think it it val validated a lot for me about what my childhood was like and that I was the kind of kid where I could do, I could do really well in a lot of kind of academic settings without putting in very much effort, just in that right mind way of uh, absorbing a bunch of stuff and then feeling like I don't know anything and then somehow pulling it out of my ass on a test that somehow it worked out. Um, that sense of not knowing, not really knowing what I know and that being a discovery process um, I always kind of felt that way. And I also found that if I tried to apply myself in a really strategic focused way, it's very difficult. I mean, I could sit in front and, and understanding my own acoustic nature too. I mean, I could sit in front of a page in a book and read the same sentence 75 times. And, <laughs> and it might take that many times for it to actually go in, no matter how hard I try. So I think all of that was pretty validating, you know, I, you know, I've got right, right on top and left, left in the nodes. So it's, it's a very weird position to be in. Um, especially, uh, you know, for me to be 
to find that I often end up in a position where I'm being observed or I'm, I have a, I have an active role to play, but I, I don't really know what I'm doing. And I haven't, I haven't really premeditated it all out. So um, I, I did feel a, a lot of recognition from that. And that made a lot of sense to me. And then it makes a lot of sense. You know, I look at my, my daughter and her father, and they're both left, left um, in the body and the mind. And I can see there, there, I can see the way that she learns and the way he helps her learn so different, you know, than, than the way I would go about it. So, but I don't know that I found it particularly troubling. I think it gave me more permission to kind of let go of thinking I should do it in some sort of more, you know, particular focused way. And I love questions. You know, I love when people ask questions. That's my favorite part of, you know, interacting. So um, what what was it like for you to discover that? It immediately made sense. So I really have struggled with memorizing stuff and um, giving tests and it, before the exam, actually feeling really panicked about not knowing anything at all. And I would often have like anxiety about this. And I would tell my mom and she would tell me like, write it down, just write it down. The more you write it, the more you're going to remember it. So I went through a tedious process of over and over and over just writing and writing and writing things. And feeling like I've written it down five times and I still don't get it and feeling so frustrated with myself and feeling so mad at myself and just mm. panic throughout the exam. And then I went like, it was still okay in school, you know, because you can get by. But then I went to law school and I had the worst time uh, with my rightness. I would just blank out and start sweating and just not be able to see anything, not be able to make sense of what was in front of me because there was just so many details and like so many like case law and everything. Like there was so much structure and there was just, it was too much strategy for me. And funnily enough, like I still, I still made it through law school. I cried the, I cried the whole way, but I made it through. And then when I learned about my right brain and my right mind, I was like, oh, I actually don't want to write another thing with my hand for the rest of my life. <laughs> and yeah. I don't want to worry about what I know, what I don't know, what I understand, what I don't understand. And I think that's how I've approached my studies in human design. There is like some days I just study something. Some days I finish the lecture. Some days I don't. Some days I go on to something completely different. And then maybe someone will ask me about something and that will pique my interest. And, you know, that will. So it's it's a very, very unique way of approaching something where you can feel like you're all over the place. But actually, somehow something is happening up here that is putting it all together. And mm -hmm. so it's surprising. And I'm still working on developing that trust that, you know, and again, this this podcast that I'm doing is like I was talking about is like every episode is like for me a huge deconditioning process because I just show up and mm -hmm. I trust that you know 
I, I will be able to have a decent conversation with people and ask them good questions or be able to contribute something. And, you know, a lot of the times, even when, when I'm talking, my mind is like, oh my God, you're so stupid. Like you, you could have, you didn't frame that right, but I'm observing that. And then when I go back and watch the recording, I'm like, this is fine. You know, like, it's yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's been, it's been a huge, huge, huge process. And I'm still, it's still something that makes me feel really uncomfortable but I'm so happy that I find myself in this space where I can actually experiment with it you know where um, I don't have to be in exam halls with all of these different people and taking all of these different like anxieties and then I, I don't know how how you felt about being in exam halls but as a mental projector it was such I was so I was so stimulated and I had all of these different things going on in my body and I just I just couldn't I just couldn't do well in that in that situation and I grew up feeling like I'm I'm stupid like maybe I'm I'm not intelligent enough and yet in other places when people would ask me I would be someone who would be able to share something really valuable for the other person and so most of my life, I have been trying to like make sense of these two two contradictory parts of myself, where it's like I feel like such an absolute mess when I have to produce something strategically, but at the same time, when I'm asked, something really like potentially really good can come out of me that is actually truly helpful for the other person. Mm-hmm. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then I think also with, with a design like that, you know, then with designs like ours, then you can also find that in certain partnerships or certain dynamics, you may have more capacity in some of those areas. Not that you process things different mentally, but you may have a kind of energetic support or input that adds a certain kind of fuel for being able to you know, put something together in a different way than you would if you were by yourself. And that's the part that I think is really healthy for us to embrace as mental projectors, to not get too fixated on how do I prove that I am valid or can make as much of a contribution as any other individual and I can do it on my own. But to recognize it's not a, it's not a weakness to be deeply affected by other people. It's not a weakness to be deeply affected by relationship but it is something to work with, you know? And then those analogies that have to do with seeing that if, you, if you're if you a mental projector, which means probably don't have, most mental projectors don't have a whole lot of channel definition, um, maybe a few, or if you look at any design, you know, where there's only one channel defined, it's something that's, it's very specific. Then to me, then you know right away that there are going to be lots of situations that you're not built for, you know? And if you, you know, so if we take you with the intelligence that you have and we put you in the wrong setting and say, now display your intelligence, that's not going to work very well. And it doesn't mean you're stupid. It means maybe this is the environmental part. It means you're in the wrong environment. You're in the wrong context. And so your intelligence doesn't have a place in that context. So it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. doesn't mean there's anything wrong with that context. It's just not a fit. It's not for you and you're not for them. So then what a relief. I mean, what a, what a massive relief to me to not have to evaluate whether I'm smart or stupid, depending on how I perform in every environment, 
you know yeah and you know it, it it's not only that it just helps you like I don't take everything personally anymore like whether it's the environment or the person or the situation it's just so much easier to be like yeah maybe it's just not the right fit and then when you move from that place of like everything being personal to you like everything saying something about you and and you move to that place of yeah everything has a place in the world like you know every person has a place in the world every emotion has a place in the world every way of thinking has a place in the world every perspective has a place in the world and you don't have to love it all you know but you can accept that it all has a valid place and that if you if you if something doesn't fit well in your life then you can just look in a different place like look somewhere else or uh you know like take yourself away from that and just wait and see what happens and what unfolds and what comes towards you so it's been amazing to to be able to just just yesterday and again i i want to be mindful of your time and i'm going to um quickly uh, come to an end soon but just yesterday i was thinking about you know, something with the loved one and like how much I love and respect this human being and just how much of a support and value this person has been, valuable um, figure this person has been in my life. But at the same time, certain things about them really bother me and I can't respect and um, I judge and I don't have to make either of them wrong. Like I can hold this aspect of them and this aspect of them together and both of them can be wrong and they can both exist it's like you know there is this cognitive dissonance but at the same time in life um it doesn't it doesn't have to mean anything like you don't have to choose a side you don't have to you don't have to make one right and the other wrong it could just be right for you in the moment or not yes yes exactly i've seen that play out in so many relationships in my life where before I understood, before I could see a lot of these dynamics, I would I would think about it more in that black and white way, you know, sort of like, does this person really get me or not? You know, or do we really belong together or not? You know, are we, and over time, that's turned more into a recognition of, and maybe this is a lot also because I have so much individuality in my design, but I really notice with people I have a sense of like, this is not our time, you know, our, our time isn't here yet, you know, or I know that there's a certain, there's a certain awareness I could share, or there's some kind of an exchange I could have with someone, but I feel much more observant or just having a sense of when it's, it's not the time for that. And then if I don't have that expectation, if I don't put that expectation on it, it makes it a lot easier to just relax. And then when the moment does show up, it's like, oh my God. And for me, you know, I'm nocturnal. This often happens for me in certain situations, you know, where it's it's the middle of the night and somebody can't sleep, you know? And then it's like, oh, this is, <laughs> this is gonna be our time. You know, it's like my, you know, my family member or my friend at the retreat or what, whatever, I'd have these moments where um, somebody shows up and it's two o'clock in the morning and they wanna have a deep conversation. And that's really exciting. And um, and then I know, oh, cool. This is, here's our time. Here's, we're having a moment now, you know, and then it'll pass and 
you'll be busy tomorrow and I'll be sleeping and we won't be having our moment anymore, you know? So yeah, I think that's exactly what you said to, to kind of let it all play out and then get to see, get to see what's what. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I'm just feeling so greedy right now because you mentioned that you're nocturnal and I'm also indirect. So just, Mm -hmm. The la- I promise the last question <laughs> that I have um, mm-hmm. is like, is 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 this something that you found out earlier on in your experiment? And where are you at? Do you eat not like do you eat post sunset? Like what is it like? What where are you at uh, when it comes to the indirect light determination? When I found out about it, I was probably. I wasn't that far into it, maybe in the first year or two, I I heard something about it, but there wasn't nearly so much information accessible about it. And I had to really kind of track people down to find somebody that I could really talk to about it back then. Um, A lot of it resonated with how I behaved already. Um, I was often the kind of person where I, I, um, I always loved the night. I was always more nocturnal. I always love to study and create and connect with people more at night than during the day. Um, I often didn't have a lot of appetite or motivation to eat during the day. I had noticed already for myself that if I did eat a big meal during the day, it would just knock me out. I mean, I'd feel like ready to pass out. Um, And normally the way, um, even when I was a kid, I was in school, I'd be really busy doing stuff all day. And then I come home and I'd have like three dinners and, you know, my mom would kind of laugh at me, like you're eating again. Um, and now it's midnight and you're eating again. So a lot of it was already there. Um, I, I, I didn't take it on in a early on in a really dogmatic way. I didn't take it on as a, as a hardcore thing to hold myself to. Um, and even now I would say it's still, it's still an experiment for me. Like one of the things that I've realized in the last couple of years is that there is a lot in that six color determination that is about uh, light and quality of light. So, you know, we separate it into direct and, inter- and indirect, but what I've actually discovered about myself is that the time when my body actually really wants to eat is right around sunrise and sunset. Those are the two major times when I find that I really, my body wants to eat. And so, you know, I never read that anywhere exactly. I haven't, I haven't conferred with a bunch of people about it. I've been in my own experiment with it. Um, I've always been more of a like beverage person during the day and soup. I've I've always loved soup. Soup has been like one of my favorite things always. So those things in small amounts do tend to be more digestible for me. And and that is how I operate most of the time. And then I usually am, I find that I'm a sort of two, generally I'm a two, uh, what do they call it? You know, when those reports came out about how a lot of people, it it didn't actually used to be the common thing that people would sleep for eight hours straight, that there would be two sleeps and that, you know, people would talk about the first sleep and the second sleep. And I, I find that I'm more naturally that way. Um, I'll tend to go to sleep, you know, between usually between one and three o'clock in the morning, and then I'll sleep for 
a few hours, several hours, I'll, um, I'll often wake up before sunrise and eat something and then go back to sleep. Um, and that's, that's just what I've discovered for myself. I've also found with experimenting with it more, um, that in my experience, it does intensify the not self mind. And so it is a process. And I do think it's something that can accelerate deconditioning in a way that can be very intense. So I, I tend to agree now with there being a certain amount of just awareness about it, about going into it and not taking it on as a mental pursuit. Like now I'm going to be a perfect demonstration of my determination. I Maybe some people can do that and that works for them, but I, I do think it can really accelerate deconditioning in a way. And then it, you know, part of my experiment too has been, has been to carefully go back and forth and, and to study the effects. You know, if I do, if I am in a social setting or I'm, you know, there's something going on and I act against it um, to really observe the effect that it has on me. Um, I went to an acupuncture, acupuncturist once several years after I had a baby and uh, she was really adamant about that, you know, I wasn't eating properly and I needed to have three meals a day and I needed to have snacks and I needed to do it like this. And, you know, I tried it and I probably felt worse than I'd ever found in my life um, at that time. So yeah, it's been an experiment for me for sure. And I think yeah. it's important to come to it in the time that feels right for you to, to do it, you know? I was very naturally like eating my bigger meals uh, at night. Um, mm. I'm also like, I don't eat as much. <laughs> uh, I only have like two meals. And so I was always skipping breakfast. Breakfast was just the most disgusting thing to me. And mm. very naturally like drinking more liquids in the day and then like a snack during like sunset a little before sunset and then having like my bigger meal later in the night but I've also recently finding that so I've just moved houses and ever since I've come into this house I'm not staying up as late as before um and I am also feeling hungrier in the day and so I'm I'm doing what my body tells me, right? But I can watch my mind come back like, oh, you were so much more naturally nocturnal in that other space that you were in. And now you're eating like this, like, is this going to mess up with your deconditioning? And, you know, I can hear my mind going on and on and on about it. But I also know that if my body is hungry, like I'm going to feed it and, um, I'm not going to mentally try to make this happen because every time I do that, I find that it's just, it just has the opposite effect. Like you said, the not self mind just gets louder and louder and louder. Whereas if I just like watch the mind go and do its thing, but still listen to my body and it's okay that, you know, like sometimes I'm more nocturnal, sometimes I'm less nocturnal. It depends on the seasons. It depends on, you know, where I'm living, what the environment is like and all of that. So I am finding in my experiment so far that I was way more nocturnal in the beginning of my deconditioning journey. 
versus mm. now i i still i i still am up pretty late and eat later at night but it's i i notice a difference of a few hours uh mm. now and um, let's see i don't <laughs> yeah i think it's a very it is a very personal experiment and then you know, I think that's something that speaks back to what you were saying about the deconditioning process too. It's like, it's a nice mental idea. It's like, I'd like to be completely deconditioned by tomorrow. You know, I'm, that's my goal. I, you know, I don't need to take seven years. I can be fully deconditioned. Well, that's going to have um, consequences in your material life. It's going to have consequences in your relational life. And I just think it's a very personal process and it's, it's probably the core message I think is most important about human design is that none of us are here to be about human design. Human design is a tool and each of our lives is about us. And so we've got to each just dis discover what that means or we can, we can each discover what that means and then what kind of a tool it is for us and how we can use it without having it become something that is either imprisoning or that we burn ourselves out on because we haven't been willing to move at a pace that's actually healthy for us to move at. Yeah. And it's important to remember that so many things have to be in place for you to actually live your life, you know, because we have been on a, on such a homogenized journey and we've probably found ourselves in a place where the environment isn't set up like our support system isn't set up we're materially not set up we're not set up in so many different ways and maybe like we we understand our the information but our life isn't set up for us to live like ourselves and that can take a long time and it is a process and uh, uh, something that you you have to respect ultimately Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I think it's healthier to go about it that way you know and some people can do it you know some people can be destitute and on the street and homeless and barely surviving and somehow human design is of use to them I think for most people that's not the case it's like if you can't feed yourself or you don't have a place to live and you have very basic survival needs I don't know that I don't know how much human design is going to solve those problems so it's a you know as Rob was fond of saying it's a bitch to survive materially on this planet you know something like that um so yeah there there are a lot of things to sort out and it's a privilege it is I do think it's a privilege and not that it's something that everybody shouldn't have access to if they want to but it's 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 a very personal thing to figure out how you can work with that given the circumstances of your material life. So that's part of it, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you, Amy. It was such a pleasure speaking with you. I could probably pick on your brains for like the next two days straight. <laughs> but I, I just, I just am so grateful and I really, really enjoyed speaking with you. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Pragya. Thanks for having me.